old, old story. Perhaps you know it. It's a story of a man who was really, really handsome. So beautiful and enchanting was this man, it's been said, that every woman who ever laid eyes on him instantly fell in love. Now, this story took place long before there was cell phone cameras and selfies. So the man didn't really know just how handsome he was until one day when he was really thirsty and he approached a small pool of water to get something to drink. Well, it was a very still day, so the surface of the water was smooth, and upon looking in the water, he could see his own reflection. Well, what do you know? He was so incredibly handsome that when he saw himself, he too fell in love. <laughs> he fell in love with himself. And he was staring at the water, he was staring at the image of himself, and though he was quite thirsty, he didn't want to disturb the water to get a drink because then he would have to stop looking at his beautiful face. His friends noticed that he was so thirsty and he was sitting there, he wouldn't be turned away, and they started getting concerned for him because hour after hour and then day after day, he couldn't be pulled away from his own image. They started coming to him, trying to bring him food and water, noticing that he was starving to death, but he would not turn away because he was so enchanted with the image of himself until finally he died there of starvation and thirst. Does anyone know who I'm talking about? Narcissus, very good. The old Greek mythological figure will have a painting of him that was done in the 15th century here. You can't see it very well, but there he stares at his own reflection. What I find interesting about the legend of Narcissus is that it existed, he existed as a figure in Greek mythology, but he was first widely published in an epic poem written by a Roman poet in around the year 6 AD. I find this interesting because what that means is that Narcissus arrives on the scene of human history right around the same time that one Jesus of Nazareth arrived on the scene of human history. Narcissus and Jesus, two completely different figures. Narcissus loved himself so much that it was to the exclusion of all others around him. Jesus loved others so much that it was to the exclusion of his very own life. Both men died, Narcissus for himself, and Jesus for us. Narcissus and Jesus. And Jesus would then go on to teach his followers, and he says to all of us, here in Matthew 16, verse 25, he says this interesting phrase that I think speaks to the situation. He says, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus offers the exact opposite, the alternative to the life of Narcissus. And Jesus invites us into a life where we're willing to lay down our lives for the sake of others, which is the opposite of what Narcissus did. As Pastor Jackie mentioned, we're starting a new sermon series. It's only three weeks long, and we've entitled it, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. It's a song title, and each of the sermons have their own song title as well. We thought it would be kind of a light-hearted way to deal with some really difficult topics, to get to the seriousness of them. The title of today's sermon is, I Did It My Way. You know that Frank Sinatra song? That lie from the pit of hell. No, just kidding. You know that Frank Sinatra song, I Did It My Way? It's the way of Narcissus. 
we're presented in Scripture really with a choice. Are we going to go through life saying, I did it my way and be in love with ourselves? Or are we going to follow the way of Christ who laid down his life for the sake of others? That's what 2 Timothy 3 is presenting to us. It's a new soundtrack. If we have the song playing and the soundtrack of our lives, I did it my way, this text presents to us a new song to sing, to switch the soundtrack up. That's what Paul is describing to young Timothy. The apostle Paul is coming to the end of his life, the end of his career as a missionary who really changed the world, showing people the way of Christ. And he's writing two letters, First and Second Timothy, as instructions for young Timothy, who's a pastor at a local church in Ephesus. And Paul is showing Timothy what it looks like to follow the way of Christ as opposed to the way of narcissism, the way of I did it my way. So let's look at the way he's describing this. We're going to begin in the middle and then come back to the earlier verses. We're going to begin in verse 10. So if you still have your Bible open or if you want to reopen it, it's 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. This is Paul's description to Timothy of the way of Christ, the Christ life. Not the selfish one, but the way of Christ. He says this in verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Then he says, my persecutions and sufferings. See, he's inviting Timothy into a way of thinking that if you follow this way, you just might be persecuted and suffer. That happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You see, what Paul is describing for Timothy and what he's describing to us is that if we don't choose to go, I did it my way, we don't choose to go the way of Narcissus, but we choose to go the way of Christ, the way of Jesus, we will experience hardship. It's the opposite of self-protection. It's the opposite of self-aggrandizement and self-love and self-advancement. To follow the way of Christ is to say, I lay down my life for the sake of others. Picture this with me now. We're, we're called in the New Testament to follow Jesus. Jesus said this to his disciples, follow me. Picture this now. Picture following Jesus on the day of his death. We know from the Gospels that he took a beam of the cross on his shoulder and he walked the Via Dolorosa, the way towards the cross. Picture yourself following him there in that moment, literally walking after him, just a few steps behind him while he's being beaten and spit upon and cursed and mocked. What if I was, what if you were walking behind him, calling out to the crowds, we're with him. He's our leader. Well, what would happen to us? We would be persecuted too. And Jesus calls us to follow him, even in that way. In fact, he says to his followers, anyone who would come after me must pick up his or her own cross and then come follow me. This is hard to hear, isn't it? We don't really like to think about following Jesus, meaning being persecuted and having to lay down our lives. This is hard to hear, especially in a culture like ours. A culture like ours is all about me, me, me. We live in a culture of 
narcissists. Self-advancement, self-protection, self-love. In fact, this text shows us pretty clearly a description of our culture and any human culture that follows the way of Narcissus. Let's read this part of it, beginning in verse 1. It says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Before I read the rest of the list, I just want to talk about that phrase, lovers of money, in case you're getting really nervous. Wait a minute. I have some money. What is this saying to me? We have to look at this phrase. You know, the Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. Sometimes people think the Bible says money is the root of all evil. Does anyone know what it actually says? Very good. Good biblical scholars here. The love of money is the root of all evil. Remember, the the title of the sermon series is looking for love in all the wrong places. So what this is saying is if you're looking for love, if you're looking for your worth, if you're looking for your identity in yourself alone or in your money, if you want that from your money, then you're in trouble. You're following the way of I did it my way, of narcissism. So let's read on from there. I just wanted to clear up that phrase in case it threw anybody off. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Lance, aren't you glad you had the youth stay in for this service? Did you all hear that? (laughs) Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, which basically just means unteachable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Now, I don't know about you, but when you heard me read that list, were you picturing anybody? Maybe you were picturing your your boss or your spouse or your neighbor or a politician. Did anyone picture yourself? You know, after the first service, someone came up to me and he said, you know, when, I was, when you read that, I, I pictured my, myself and then I, I started feeling really pleased with myself that I was so self-aware and then I realized that's pride. So <laughs> he was all conflicted. The way the phrase, the way the series ends, though, it says avoid such people. Now, we could, we could relax a little bit when we hear that because we could think, oh, yeah, that's, that's what the Scripture's telling us today. Look at all those people out there in culture who are narcissists. Let's avoid them. That's what the Bible says, right? Well, what we have to know about 2 Timothy is that this is a letter written by Paul to Timothy. He's instructing Timothy in how to build up his church. He's how to look for leaders in his church. So this is a word not just about culture out there. This is a word about people inside the walls of the church. It's a word to us. Not just inside the walls of the church, but inside the walls of our own hearts. If we're honest, we could look at everything on this list and, and find traces of it in our own hearts. So it says avoid such people, but I think we can also hear it saying to us, avoid being such a person. And in the next two verses of the scripture, it, it, it shows us exactly what starts to happen in a culture or in a community where people are doing it their way. 
where people are following the way of Narcissus. And these are difficult verses to read, but let's hear them again. Verses 6 and 7. For among them, it says, are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Sometimes it seems like this issue of sexual assault is a new one. But it's not. This is a 2,000-year-old text. This has been going on for a long time. It goes on in places where people are doing it their way, when people are following the way of Narcissus. And then the next verse, I think, is even more relevant for our time and in our culture. Verse 7, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Wow, that is a word for our culture. Always learning. They call this the information age. There has never been more data, more information. It's coming our way a million miles an hour through the tweets, through cable news, through newspapers. Everywhere we go, we're learning, learning, learning new information. We have all this information, but let me ask, do we have any more wisdom than we did a generation ago or 10 generations ago? This is a description of us always learning but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. I hear stories coming out of the universities, out of the academies in this postmodern context where the professors are saying, we really can't really know the truth. Always learning but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. And then, interestingly, Paul illustrates what he's trying to say by bringing out two characters from the Old Testament, Janus and Jambres. I'm really curious. Does anyone remember who those two guys are, Janus and Jambres? I see one head nodding. I'll remind you who Janus and Jambres were, and then we'll try to figure out why Paul uses them to illustrate his point. Moses and Aaron were called by God to head into the, the throne room of Pharaoh with a word. Let my people go. You remember this story now? So they walk into the throne room of Pharaoh and they say, let my people go. And and Moses um, displays that he's sent by God with a sign of divine power. He takes his staff and commands it to turn into a snake. And it does. It's a pretty amazing miracle. Well, Pharaoh summons two magicians, two sorcerers. And they come out. Their names are Janus and Jambres. They come out and they start producing snakes out of sticks that using some kind of sorcery or some kind of magic. It's like a fabricated version of a miracle. And there they get that little trick going. And then you might recall what the snake Moses and Aaron created does. It eats them all up. Why in the world is Paul suddenly bringing out these two Old Testament figures to, to talk about narcissism and following the way of Christ? Well, in reality, Paul isn't just talking about narcissists and needing to avoid them and being like them and following the way of Christ because he's really setting up a larger point. He's trying to show us the remedy for narcissism, the remedy for being set back on track in the way of Christ. And the remedy for narcissism is the truth. It's the word of God. That's the remedy. Moses and Aaron had come into the situation with a word from God, a word from Yahweh, let my people go, and they tried to dissuade that truth train by setting up these fabrications, these sorceries, these magic tricks. Those were twisted and perverted versions of the truth. And so what Paul is showing Timothy and what he's showing us is that the remedy to to narcissism, the remedy to this 
twisted and crooked generation that we live in and the twists and the crookedness in our own hearts is the truth of God. We don't need to go on learning but never arriving at a knowledge of the truth because we have the truth in the Word of God. He's showing us that the Word of God is like a plumb line. Do you know what a plumb line is? This is a word picture given to us in Scripture. A plumb line is something that a carpenter would use. He would hang a very tall pole and he would hang from that a string with a weight tied to the bottom, creating a perfectly vertical line. And the carpenter would then construct whatever he was building around the straightness of that line. Without the plumb line, the building would be crooked. This word comes to us in the prophet Amos in the Old Testament. God is about to inflict his judgment upon the people of Israel because they've gone way off course. They're a crooked and twisted generation. And God warns the people through Amos and he says, I'm about to set a plumb line before you. And the plumb line is my judgment, it's my word. This is true for us as well. We live in not just a narcissistic culture, but we have narcissistic tendencies coming up into our own hearts. And God says, go back to the plumb line. Go back to the word. I know this is what Paul is saying because the next few verses, he begins to describe the power and importance of the word. Let's look at that in verse 14 through 17. Here's what he says. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. What's he talking about there? Knowing from whom you learned this? Timothy was raised by his mother and his grandmother, Eunice and Lois. And he was raised in the faith from a young age. He's one of the very first Christians who ever lived. His mother and his grandmother raised him in the gospel, in the truth, They read the Old Testament with him. They may have read Paul's earlier letters with him. And he says, remember, remember the plumb line, remember the word. You're not going to follow the way of this world. You're going to follow the way of Christ by remembering what's here in the plumb line, what's here in the word. Uh, and And from childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise. See that as a difference between always learning and never arriving at a knowledge of the truth. The scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We need to examine our hearts this morning and say, is there there any part of me that has gone the way of Narcissus? Is the soundtrack of my life playing, I did it my way? I'm really glad that the teenagers are in here this morning because I'm recalling a time in my own life when I was in college and I had to make one of these decisions. Am I going to follow the way of Christ or am I going to do it my way? I had received a call to be a pastor when I was just seven years old. I was in the second grade. And I always remembered that, obviously. But when I was in college, I was also in the theater program. I was taking theology classes, but I was also in theater. And my professors were really encouraging me to go into acting. And they were setting up internships for me in New York City, and it was starting to get really interesting and exciting. And there was a, I remember there was like a little glimmer in the eye of one of my professors. And he was pretty sure if I did all the right things, I could become famous. And I remember it felt like an actual temptation 
Now, for any of you who want to go into the realm of theater and acting and all that, please go. This, this just happened to be, for me, it felt like a temptation because I had already gotten my call to be a pastor. So I prayed about it. I went away to Alaska, actually, to be with my sister and brother-in-law for a summer. And I did a lot of praying and a lot of reading. And I heard the Lord say to me, I've given you your calling. I want you to be a pastor. And so I, I chose the way of Christ, knowing it wasn't going to be nearly as glamorous or fun as being famous. Not that I ever would have been guaranteed that, but that was the temptation. And we make a million of these choices, sometimes on a, on a large scale and sometimes on a small daily scale. Little tiny choices every day. Are we going to do it my way? Are we going to follow the way of Christ? It's harder. It's going to lead to persecution and suffering and hardship. In fact, we might even need to lay down our lives for the sake of others. But this is the Christ life. Jesus, when he was in the wilderness and was tempted by Satan to just feed his own desires, he stood on the word of God. He quoted scripture. It was his plumb line against the lies of Satan. We're going to change up our order just a little bit. I'm going to invite the the praise team back up here. They're going to sing a song for us as we conclude this sermon and head into communion. We're going to skip our communion hymn and just have them sing a song. And it's a wonderful prayer. It's an honest prayer. And it recognizes the fact that we all have a little bit of Narcissus in us. And the prayer says that we need to be delivered from ourselves. We need to be delivered from ourselves and reminded of the truths of God. So as they sing this to us, as they sing this for us, make it your own prayer. Pray the words as they sing it this morning.
from the fear of death or of a trial from the fear of death or trial and from the fear of humility I shall not want, no I shall not.